Hello and welcome. My name is Tom. This is the Enthusiasm Project, season six, episode nine. Feeling fine, isn't it divine? Uh, I have no other lines in the head of mine. Uh, anyway, hello. It's nice to see you or hear you or talk to you. It's nice for you to hear me today. We've got a lot of stuff to cover today. So this is one of those episodes. We're in season nine of a 10 episode run. So that means that next week is going to be the season finale. And I'm very, very, very excited about it because I have a topic I'm excited about that I haven't heard discussed anywhere else. So tune in for that next week. But in the meantime, throughout the season and even before, I I always have notes of episodes I want to do, topics I want to cover, and things I want to discuss. And now I sort of have this hodgepodge of things that I haven't gotten to, but that I think are important, but maybe aren't like relevant enough, not to say relevant enough, in-depth enough to have their whole episode, to have a whole episode dedicated to them specifically. So I figured let's break things down and kind of cover all those in one single episode episode, and that is today's show. But before we dive into any of that, we've got some messages to play, which is very, very exciting. And before we dive into any of that, I should tell you what microphone I'm using because that is a question that I get a lot. Today's microphone, as I'm trying to use a different one on every episode this season, is the Lewitt LCT240. And uh, oh, a 240 Pro, sorry, this is professional. Uh, I love this microphone. This is one of my favorite condenser microphones. It's super well built. It's like this very solid, chunky metal design. There's a white and a black version. I have the white version because I really just thinks that it, think that it looks great. I think this is an amazing sounding microphone and it's also relatively affordable. The mic itself is like $150 usually, somewhere around there. It's not wildly expensive, I think it sounds great. There's no EQ or processing or anything happening right now. This is just the dry mic signal. The reason I said it's usually about 150 is because there are some accessories you can buy. So the microphone itself is usually about that, but I do have a few accessories on mine. I did buy the Lewitt shock mount for it, which is also a cool black and white color. So it all all matches. And the shock mount is really nice. It's like very well built. Oops, I just touched it. (laughs) It's very well built and it, it works really, really well. And then I also have, the microphone does come with a windscreen, uh, just a foam windscreen, which works really, really well, but it covers up the cool design of the microphone. And as you know, the visual visual aspect of a microphone is obviously the most important part of a microphone. So uh, Lewitt also makes a mesh metal, wind, or mesh metal pop filter for the mic, which is very cool because I like metal pop filters. I just feel like they work really well. I have one on my Rode NT1, and I really love that one. But what's cool about this is it is magnetic. I'm resisting the urge to touch it while I'm using the microphone. It's magnetic, so it attaches to the shock mount magnetically, and it's really cool. It's like held in perfect place all the time, but you can just pop it off really easily. So the shock mount, I think, was like $30 or $40, and the the pop filter was another like $30 or $35. So that bumps the price of the microphone up to over $200 total to get like the setup that I'm using right now. Uh, but it's a great microphone. I've had this one, gosh, I've had this for a while now, maybe like a year, and uh, I love it. I It's just a great mic. I love this one. So the Lewitt LCT240 Pro. Lewitt makes some higher-end microphones, like they have a 440 and some other stuff too, which are more expensive and I think definitely like a bit better sounding. But for the price to value or the value to performance ratio, 
I think this one is actually very, very, very tough to beat. And now to kick things off, we do have a few messages that have been sent in over the past week. So the first one is from another Tom B, but it's not this Tom B. It'd be another one. This is from Tom Bray. So let's see what Tom Bray has to say. Hi, Tom. This is Tom Bray from the How to Write TV podcast. I was delighted recently to hear in one of your episodes you using the ElectroVoice RE20 dynamic microphone because for years it was my favorite dynamic mic until recently when I found this Neumann BCM705, Neumann's only dynamic mic. So I thought I'd send you a little audio sample. Anyway, I love your podcast. Take care. Thank you so much, Tom. Great name, by the way. Uh, I have not heard, I don't know a lot about Neumann microphones other than that they're very high quality and they tend to be very expensive. So looking up the Neumann BCM705, which sounded super awesome in the message that you sent, it looks like it sells for about $730. I didn't know that they only make one dynamic microphone and that would be the one that they make. It's also, again, going back to microphone design, a very cool looking microphone. I mean, most Neumann mics have a, a very nice design to them but this seems it's awesome and it, the, like the yoke that it is in seems very practical where the xlr mount is not in an inconvenient location for mounting on different arms and poles and things so that's that's cool i just always appreciate good design uh 729 obviously is like not the cheapest microphone in the world but as you mentioned the re20 which i do really love as well uh, this is not that much more than the RE20 because that's what, usually $500, I think, for the RE20. So I guess $229 is, the difference in that is the cost of the entire microphone setup that I'm using right now. So it is a difference, but I feel like it's pretty reasonable if someone's looking at the RE20 and maybe then they would consider the Neumann 705 as well, which is uh, which is pretty cool. So thanks so much for that sample. It's great to be able to hear uh, it's great to be able to hear equipment that I don't have access to. So uh, thanks for making my job easier and appreciate the message. We've got another message now from Pete. And uh, let's just see what Pete has to say as I try to click on the right tab because I completely lost my place. All right. Take it away, Pete Fletcher. Hey, Tom, how you doing? This is Pete Fletcher. Welcome back from New York. That was pretty exciting. I really like the blogs that you guys did. And I really like this idea of uh, giving your your listeners a chance to submit pretty easily. I do podcasts. I might do the same myself with this. So I'm going to I'm going to test this right now. Uh, so hey, here's a question for you, though. Uh, I'm talking to you right now on my Heil PR40. I just moved into a different room and there's a little bit of a uh, little noise in here. I hear a little noise, but I have the Sennheiser MKH-50, and man, I'm getting a lot of room noise from that one. Listen to this. All right, so this is <laughs> this is my voice uh, on the Sennheiser MKH-50, uh, and it's just a couple of inches, probably about six inches above my head, uh, but I can definitely hear the whole room in here. It's very, very, uh, I don't know, not very dry, if you will. Uh, and then this is the uh, Heil PR40, which obviously has a different sound. So just curious what your thoughts are on room treatments. Welcome back, man. Thanks so much, Pete. I appreciate that. And thanks for the samples and everything. Uh, first, let's talk about let's talk about microphones and we'll talk about the other stuff that you mentioned. So uh, the first thing, 
Uh, I think that your MKH50, this in my very like not professional opinion, it sounds good, but I hear what you're saying when you say that there's lots of room tone. So I actually have my MKH50, which is an amazing microphone. It is not a cheap microphone, but it's a really great condenser mic that's very commonly used for uh, booming like TV shows and movies and stuff. So uh, the reason I got it was I wanted to experiment with something where I could get good audio with the mic being out of frame. And so since November, December of 2021, the MKH50 has been my main mic for the YouTube videos that I make. If you don't see a mic in the frame, it's been the MKH50 that whole time. Prior to that, I was using the Rode VideoMic NTG, which still I think sounded good. And actually, considering it's $1,000 cheaper than the Sennheiser, really holds its own very, very well. But the Sennheiser has been something really, really special. So right now I'm still talking on the Lewitt LCT240. And now I am actually on the Sennheiser. I tried to position it the same way that Pete said he has, where it's like, you know, about six inches away above him. And there's definitely a difference. Like I think listening uh, to my headphones right now, you can hear more room tone and that's how the video sounds. So as I'm talking now, you can probably hear some reverb in the room as the sound bounces around. And as I switch back to the Lewitt, LCT240, a lot of that goes away. Both of these are condenser microphones, but of course the biggest difference here is that the Lewitt is, I mean, inches from my mouth, whereas the Sennheiser is, I guess everything could be inches depending on how you measure it. The Sennheiser is well, probably about six to eight inches away, and the Lewitt, which I'm on right now, is one or two inches away. So that's gonna be a big difference there. A thing with microphone comparisons that I have learned, this is the Sennheiser, by the way, is that a lot of it, sometimes when you switch between microphones, you can do yourself a disservice because you hear you hear just abrupt changes. And it's not even necessarily that those changes are good or bad. It's just that it's different and it throws your hearing off. It's not what you're used to and things sound weird. But then once you listen to that for a while, it starts to sound normal. And when you switch to something else, then it sounds weird again. Um, so there's a couple things. First, Thinking how the MKH-50 is intended to be used as capturing audio on a movie or TV set, like a, a film set or a production set, it's, it is it is intended to be like, to have a lot of reach and to be able to like, I, for lack of a better term, isolate sound from a distance, but it's not intended to eliminate every other bit of sound because it, it is supposed to pick up a little bit of that environmental sound, that natural sound to make it not sound like if an actor's talking, it is just a voiceover <laughs> being like dubbed over something, but to sound like they are in the environment where they're at. That's probably a very oversimplified explanation. But another thing also has to do with positioning. So right now, the microphone is above me, but if I switch back to the Lewitt, and I, I'm, I'm not doing any other tests here, so now I'm repositioning the Sennheiser to be a little bit more uh, kind of in front of me, facing sort of directly at my like throat chest area. And now we switch back to the Sennheiser. I think you can hear a lot less room tone. There's still more than the Lewitt has because the Sennheiser is still far further away from me. But that positioning, I think, made a pretty big difference. And it was Alan from Sound Speeds who told me to do it this way because uh, basically what he said to do was set up a camera to the side of me and then just position the microphone in different spots and talk into it. And then when I'm playing things back, see what sounds the best and see where the mic's position is the best. And he, Alan is a professional boom operator for movies and TV shows. So I trusted his opinion. And that really did seem to help a lot. Of course, treating your room 
is going to be like the number one thing. It doesn't really matter how expensive the microphone is. If the room has no treatment, my room is not ideally treated at all. But the thing that saves me is I have a bunch of crap in here. So that does help. It's carpeted and there's stuff everywhere. But switching back to the Lewitt now, one of the things is a giant drum set, which are just hollow. Drums are hollow and intended to like capture and project sound. So those are terrible. Like I get all kinds of weird boominess from my drum set in here. And then I, I don't really have much other treatment other than a few panels from Acoustamac.com. I used to have like those foam egg crate panels that you can get on like Amazon or whatever, but they, they really didn't do much. They could if you position them well, depending on the room that you're in, but they didn't really do much for me. And the Acoustamac panels made a huge difference and you can get them in custom sizes, custom colors. So I have two of them, one in front of me and one above me. And that really did help a lot. Uh, that's Acoustamac.com. I'll put a link in the show notes because it's spelled sort of strange. Not sponsored, not connected with them, but uh, th those have been really great. So sound treatment really is key. Otherwise, switching back to the Sennheiser now, otherwise it's just going to be a matter of finding positioning because even this mic here, I'll move it as I'm talking into it. If I position it over me, you kind of hear how my voice changes. If I position it where it's now kind of a little more um, laterally, like pointed directly at me, it changes a little bit, again, above me towards me. Um, and then a lot of it, I can't get it out of this little cage right now, but a lot of it would change depending on what part of the room I'm in. So back on the Lewitt now, I'm in my normal spot where I'm usually at for my videos. But if, you know, if I move the microphone to a different area and the, the acoustics are going to be different, the reflections are going to be different. So a lot of it can be solved with positioning and of course, room treatment, but it's so, so different for every space that it just takes some time to practice. So the MKH-50 is awesome. I think you and I both know it's awesome. So what I have done personally is if I'm using the MKH-50 and it's not giving me the results I want, I just think that it's me. <laughs> and then I either need to live with it or find a way to solve that. So um, that's the answer there. And you're probably thinking like, well, hey, Tom, the microphone you're using right now sounds great. And then when you switch to the Sennheiser, it sounds, you know, like a lot boomier and more roomier. Why won't you just use this microphone that sounds really, really good? And the answer is sometimes I just don't want a microphone right in front of my face. Right now it's not a problem, but you know, sometimes when you're working with other people or you're recording something, it's just not convenient or even aesthetically pleasing to have a microphone covering your face. So sometimes you don't want that. And I, you know, any of my videos from November, December-ish to now, and for the foreseeable future, uh, have the MKH-50 with basically no processing. So you can kind of hear how that sounds in practice if you haven't done so already. But Pete also mentioned a couple other things, one of them being New York. <laughs> yes, the reason there was no episode last week is because Heather and I were in New York City, which was very, very fun. That was kind of an unexpected trip. Uh, so originally, I was supposed to get flown out for a by a company for like a a work-related thing, which is crazy, and haven't really talked about that yet. But originally, it was supposed to be like, hey, there's this thing happening. We want to fly you out for just like a night. Like, literally, I was thinking I was going to leave on Tuesday, get to New York, go to an event on Wednesday, and then come back on Wednesday, <laughs> which is blows my mind that I could, like, be in California on Tuesday, be in California again on Wednesday night, but in between that, have been in New York City uh, but that also gives me a lot of anxiety, the idea of that much travel that quickly. And I don't know, like my lizard brain is not equipped to handle that. Uh, plus, Heather and I both really like New York. We've both been to New York, uh, but we've never been to New York together. And so 
we were kind of wondering, hey, maybe this could be a chance for us to go together. So I actually did the unthinkable, and I asked for more than what was being originally offered to me. So I asked the company, uh, I tried to be very polite about it and just say like, well, if you're paying for my return trip, do you care if it's the next day? Like, can we bump the return ticket a few days later? Because I'd really love it if my wife would come and then we can um, spend some days in the city. And I was like, you know, we'll pay for her airline ticket. We'll pay for her hotel, like the extra days in the hotel and all that. Um, But it'd be great, you know, if we could just for our schedule, if we could both be there. And they said, yeah, absolutely. That's no problem. So we were very excited about that. And then um, about a week later, we got an email that said, here's all the confirmation info. Um, And they not only paid for Heather's plane ticket, but they also offered to pay for the extra nights in our hotel so we could stay the whole time. Basically, the whole thing was just covered, which is amazing. And so we're very excited. And then that night, we got an email that said the entire event was canceled. <laughs> I don't know what happened. I really don't. But um, something something happened and it was canceled. Uh, but they just said, like, you know, we got the plane tickets as, like, a sign of good faith because you guys have rearranged everything and been flexible uh, going back and forth through all these planning details. If you want the plane tickets, you can keep them. Not hotel, not food, nothing else, but just plane tickets. If you guys want them, you can have them. And so uh, so we decided to keep them and just go to New York for fun, which was really cool because we ended up doing like a meetup with some people from our community. I got to, uh, well, we both got to meet uh, some of the people from B&H who handle like the affiliate and the partner program, which is super cool because then Heather was able to kind of get connected with some of the programs they have as well. I got to meet some of the people I work with at B&H and then we got this amazing like four hour tour. We even got to do a live stream from, from the camera floor on B&H, which was very, very fun. Uh, so that was cool. And then uh, we had an absolutely nightmarish time getting home because we had like two delays and a cancellation. And we, we ended up going to every one of the three major airports in the New York area, Newark, LaGuardia, and JFK. And we ended up having to stay an extra day, but it wasn't as delightful as it sounds because it was like unexpected and stressful and crazy. As Pete mentioned, uh, Heather did vlogs for the whole trip. So if you go to youtube.com slash Heather just create, you could see see the whole trip and uh, all the fun, the highs and the lows. But our time in the city was absolutely amazing. Um, it's it's a really fun city. I haven't been in a number of years, so it was great to go back. And it was great to go. I don't, I've never gone like, I, I've gone a couple times with like friends where we sort of split up for the whole day and then meet back at night to like go to a show or something. So it's like all my memories of New York are basically wandering around alone, which is very, very fun. But it was very nice to like have my super fun wife with me the whole time. So that was very, very cool. And uh, yeah, it was really, I felt super special at B&H Photos. So that was great. New York was absolutely awesome, except for the travel on the way back. And I learned some things we'll talk about in next week's episode. But then speaking of that, the other places I've mentioned New York is on a second YouTube channel which I did become one of those people that started a second YouTube channel. Uh, we could probably talk about more about that in a different episode. Or, or Heather and I did a whole couples table episode. But uh, if you go to youtube.com slash Tombuck2, you can see there's like three videos there now, three or four videos. Uh, basically, that's... It always bothered me the idea that someone would have like their YouTube channel that I find and love them for. And then they would say like, here's my second channel where I actually have fun and stuff. Because it made me feel like, wait, you don't like the thing that I that I like you for, like you don't like that. And so I really resisted having a second channel for a long time because I thought 
that I, I just thought it was more of a fun creative challenge to try to fit stuff into my channel and make it relevant. If I have an idea to do something, I want to try something, maybe there's a creative way I can fit it in one of my videos and make it relevant. And I could do that a lot, but sometimes I just couldn't. And so sometimes I would have these ideas that just never happened because I couldn't figure out how, like they're just not relevant to my channel. And so I would just never do them. And I kind of decided that, well, it's sort of sad to just let those, let those ideas disappear. And one of the things that I miss from teaching is the, like, I guess you could almost call it the professional development side of things where when I was teaching digital media, I was constantly using equipment in new ways, using new equipment. I was helping people figure stuff out, you know, like students would be working on narrative films and all this kind of stuff. So, you know, that's where I'd be learning like, hey, here's different ways to set up uh, audio or lighting or whatever for these different needs and, and all these just I learned a lot myself in teaching that. And not doing that, I don't have that as much. It's not a regular thing that occurs. And so one of the thoughts was, well, if there was sort of, if we're making videos that were more, I don't want to call them experimental because it's not like that high concept, but uh, videos that do let me experiment in different ways and use things in different ways, it would be that kind of really cool learning experience to sort of keep my skills sharp and developed. And sometimes... I, I guess the thing too is the idea of YouTube is like, it's your channel. You should be able to post whatever you want. But the fact is, if you have a point where it's established and you want to keep the thing growing and keep it sustainable, I really, really love my channel and I'm really proud of it and I have a lot of fun with it. And I guess you could say like, well, if you want to make a video about a guitar or something, just put it on that channel. But the truth is that would hurt the channel. Like it, it, that one video might not be a big deal. It might just not perform very well or connect with a different audience or something. But if I did that several times, it could actually start hurting the channel. And so as much as you want to say, you should be able to do whatever you want and, you know, keep it pure and all that, it seems foolish to throw a wrench in the works of something that you've spent so many years and so many hours and so much just money and time and energy building. I didn't want to mess that up. So that was kind of thinking of it that way was where I thought, well, a second channel would be fun, where I legitimately do not care about any kind of performance, any kind of growth, any kind of anything. I'm just going to make videos and the videos, some like most of them are just filmed with a GoPro. So like the lighting is bad. The sound isn't the best, but the videos are fun and they're easier, they're easier to make and I can share stuff or experiment with different pieces of equipment or whatever. So anyway... Um, I forget why this reminded me of that, but, uh, oh, cause I did some stuff. I, I talked about the New York trip in a couple videos on the second channel. That's why I thought about that. Anyway, thank you, peep, peep. <laughs> thank you, Pete. Sorry. It's almost Easter. So I was thinking of peeps. Uh, thank you, Pete, for the message. I appreciate that. Maybe the, the reason I said peep instead of Pete is because Pete submitted his message through speak pipe. And maybe I thought pipe, peep, peep. I don't know. But uh, this is something I'm very excited about that I wanted to share. Pete was actually the first person to use this, and that is uh, SpeakPipe. So I stole this idea from the Bandrew Says podcast because he always has uh, listener submissions and, and stuff. And I always ask for listener submissions, but I don't get that many, which is fine. I understand the difference in like numbers and traffic. But I realized, oh, that's actually kind of a barrier to ask somebody to like, record something, upload it, share it, send it to an email. Like, it's kind of difficult. So if you have thoughts 
you know, since there's no direct comment section on a podcast, if you have thoughts, if you have something that you want to submit, if you want to participate in any kind of future Q&A episodes, you can always still send emails to tom at enthusiasmproject.com, and those can be text, voice, or video. But if you want to submit an audio clip and you want an easy way to do that, you can now just go to himynameistom.com, and right there, kind of, you might have to scroll down a little bit, right in the middle of the homepage is a thing that says, submit something to the podcast and it just has a little button that says press to record and you can just from right there you can press record if you have like an interface and a mic hooked up to your computer you can select that and record with that or you can just use like a built-in microphone or if you're on your phone or whatever you can just use that like whatever microphone you happen to have you can just use submit a thing and then you press done and it just sends it right to me and I can very easily add them to the show it is super cool uh, so I'm curious to see how that works. Uh, if you have thoughts, if you hear anything about this episode, feel free to just go to HiMyNameIsTom.com and then click the little uh, podcast submit button and you can record right there from the homepage. The reason I'm saying that is because it's not a free service. There is a free version, but it's pretty limited. And so uh, currently I'm on the free trial of the paid plan and I'd really like to do it, but it it's not that it's expensive. It's like $12 a month paid annually. So is that $120, $140 a month, $144 a month? I know math or something. 12 times 12 is 144. Yes. Okay. <laughs> um, but, you know, the idea of paying $150 for something that I don't know if it's going to get used a lot isn't super appealing. So I'm curious to see if it gets used, if it is actually easier for people to use and a better way to connect with people uh, then it's something I would like to continue to have implemented. But in trying to like build a website or maintain a website, I should say, uh, create courses, host different things, the number of annual subscriptions that just keep piling up just grows and grows and grows. So I only want to add a new one if it's something that's going to be really, really valuable. But so far, I'm really liking this. If you go to the website too, because I'm not on the like, actually, I don't think I have a way to do it. Uh, it just says at the bottom, powered by SpeakPipe, which is kind of annoying. I wish you could get rid of that, but you can't. Uh, but if, you, if you're if you wondering, hey, what is this? You could click that and uh, find this, which is probably why they leave it there because that's, I went to Bandrew's thing. I went to askbandrew.com and saw that he was using this and just uh, stole the idea. So yeah, that's a cool way to submit stuff. And that is very, very, very fun. Now, um, <laughs> the last thing I was going to say, actually, I guess uh, I meant to talk about this when we talked about Tom's message at first, when he was talking about the Neumann microphone, but this also bridges into the next thing that I want to discuss, which is the idea of discouragement. So uh, the video that I have coming out later this week, if you're listening to this episode when it comes out, is all about, speaking of microphones, the Blue Yeti, the very controversial, very polarizing Blue Yeti microphone I definitely have a positive feeling of nostalgia for the Yeti, but I recognize that it is not the best microphone choice, especially in 2022. And there's a whole range of feelings between that. There are a lot of people who know nothing about the Blue Yeti or buy it and are happy with it. And there are other people who have very strong opinions about it. And if you're somebody who's interested in microphones and the audio video production world, chances are you're a little more familiar with it and maybe have some kind of opinion on it. Basically, it was kind of the first mass market USB microphone that was easily usable, easily accessible. I don't want to say the first because there were other ones, but in like the 
the modern incarnation of what we think of when we think of a USB microphone. The Yeti was really one of the first and originally came out in 2009. And then it became just like ubiquitous, or as I like to say, blueubiquitous among like podcasters, YouTubers, streamers, even still. I mean, it's, it's crazy popular. Like I regularly see new videos from channels where they're talking into a Yeti or streaming with a Yeti. Um, but it, at one point in time, especially from like, it feels like 2013 to 2016, every YouTube channel had one. And, uh, it's just what people got when they wanted to have better audio. They would just get a Yeti, plug it into their computer and then set it and forget it. Sometimes using it totally incorrectly. So this week's video dives into, is the blue Yeti really that bad? Trying to look at it from an objective point of view, because in that video, I do put in clips from my channel years ago when I first got my Yeti and clips from Heather's channel back in like 2016, early 2017, when she got her Yeti. And you can see how excited we are. Like, especially Heather's clip, it's like the most adorable thing ever when she turns on the Yeti for the first time and is so excited by how good things sound. It's it's super fun. It's super exciting. And I remember that feeling because the Yeti for me was my first like microphone upgrade beyond a video mic that I had on my camera, but I couldn't really use that for anything besides camera stuff. So the Yeti let me stream, the Yeti let me record voiceovers for videos, let me do some early podcasts. It really did unlock a lot, and I appreciate it for that. Granted, that could have been any other USB microphone that did that, but for me, it was the Yeti, and I was very excited about it. But now the Yeti seems like it's also the subject of a lot of hate and ire and criticism and memes and all this kind of stuff. So... I wanted to dive into that with a video and sort of try to take an objective look at like, how does Yeti work? How does it sound like? Um, and then one of the questions that pops up with the Yeti is uh, new Yetis versus old ones because Blue was purchased by Logitech back in 2018. And I've heard a thing that's popped up several times online is that, well, the Yeti used to be good. And then when Logitech bought it, they changed the internals and now, even though it looks the same, it doesn't perform the same. So I had some very interesting results in the video. You'll have to watch that to find out. But uh, what I was originally, well, actually, you know what? Here's a clip. In fact, here is the Blue Yeti right now. I was actually going to do the entire episode with this microphone. And I was going to do a classic April Fool's Day mess around where I was going to say it was a super expensive Neumann U87 or something. And then at the end, I was going to be like, psych, it was the Yeti the whole time. But I didn't do that because then I'd have to edit the whole episode in Adobe Audition or Logic or whatever. And not that that's difficult to do, but I really like my Rodecaster Pro workflow. So I wanted to be able to use that to play all the clips, including this clip right now, because for some reason that made more sense to me. But anyway, as we're comparing other microphones, you're hearing the Lewitt LCT240. You're going to hear the Sennheiser MKH50. Here is the Blue Yeti. Okay, now we're back on the Sennheiser. So uh, I did hear some weird like MP3 compression, but I think that's me and my QuickTime skills or lack thereof, because that was a very quickly recorded <laughs> uh, recorded sample. Uh, but basically, my conclusion in that video was that the Yeti is not the best microphone in the world. And I'm not trying to defend it as like, everybody's wrong and everybody should get a Blue Yeti. But it's also not the worst microphone in the world. There are far more, there are many microphones that are far worse than the Yeti, and a lot of them are more expensive as well. And some of them I've used, some of them you might have seen on my channel and been like, hey, maybe that doesn't sound as good. And other ones like never even made it to the channel because I got them and was like, nope, not interested in this, even though it's from a more premium brand or a higher end 
Uh, it's supposed to be a higher end microphone, does not sound as good as just the simple Yeti does. And of course, your voice and your environment, all that stuff uh, plays a lot into it. The Yeti also has a lot of uh, very specific features that people tend to use wrong very often. So anyway, how does this tie in with the idea of discouragement? What I discovered as I was making this video is I learned one of my least favorite things is discouragement and people becoming discouraged. And so a thing that I've seen happen several times, just personally on, online in, in discussions and communities, is that somebody will get a Blue Yeti, they will be excited about it, they will then post a video or a question or something like in a Facebook group or a Discord or whatever, and they will then get torn apart for using the Yeti, even though it sounds fine. It's just like people will be like, well, the first thing is take that Yeti and put it in the trash and then get a real microphone and stuff like that where it ends up being very discouraging to someone who is new because they have they they wanted better sound. So they just bought, I don't know, they might have gone to just Best Buy and been like, where's microphones? Here's microphones. I've seen this microphone. I'm going to buy that one. Like, you know, it could be that simple. They get it. They plug it in. They're actually happy with the sound. It sounds so much better than what they had before. They're happy with that. And then suddenly they get torn apart or they they get told that like, you know, it's a terrible microphone. They made a bad choice. And then even though nothing changed, it's the same sound quality. It's delivering the same results for them. Now they start to feel discouraged and unhappy and unsure and second guessing themselves. And then the last thing you need when you're starting out as a content creator is any more uh, incentive to second guess yourself. Like you've probably already done that a lot. And if somebody then like, you know, you're excited because you now have a good microphone and then somebody just rips it apart, you're going to feel really bad. And I don't know, I honestly don't know how I would have felt back when I got my first Blue Yeti and I was super excited to like do a live stream with it. And yes, I had it positioned way too far away from me. So the sound still wasn't amazing, but it was better than it had been before. And I was super excited the microphone. If somebody during that stream when, you know, my channel had, I don't know, 82 subscribers or something and I was super excited about this thing and just learning about it if someone said oh your audio sucks why'd you get that like you're an idiot for getting that put that in the trash I like to think that I would have had the you know the mental capacity to just contextualize that give some perspective on it and ignore it but at the same time knowing that I was kind of putting myself out in you know outside of my comfort zone a little bit trying something new it might have also been very discouraging and I can easily imagine the next time I wanted to stream or do a podcast kind of going like, oh, maybe I shouldn't use that microphone or maybe I shouldn't use it on camera where people can see that I'm using it because it'd be embarrassed, which is stupid. Like you shouldn't, you shouldn't be embarrassed about your gear anytime. And I just, the idea of someone being discouraged, which is why I mentioned in the video that I made that comes out this week, like when you see Heather's face and how excited she is to hear how good her Yeti sounds when she got it for the first time, the idea of then just taking that joy and that excitement and just snuffing it out just because like you want to gatekeep equipment or something, it really bothers me. And I, I didn't realize that the idea of people being discouraged really bothered me so much, but it it is, I don't know, you learn about yourself, right? When you make stuff and that is, it just sums things up really, really well. A very different discussion if someone were to come to you, I guess this comes to gear because... um 
I mentioned this in, in a previous episode, but sometimes I will get emails and messages from people where they will they will almost apologize for their gear, where they'll say like, hey, I have a question about live streaming. I know I'm only using a Canon Rebel or I'm only using a Blue Yeti or whatever. And it's like, I'm not going to tear you apart because you're not using the exact same equipment that I have. I will never, ever, ever, ever judge somebody's gear choice. When it comes to gear, more than anything, I'm just always interested in what people choose and what they use and why they're using it and, you know, what I can learn from what other people are doing with their equipment and their gear. And so I, I don't care if it's, a you know, the cheapest microphone in the world, the most expensive one. I'm curious about why you're using it and how you're using it and the results that you're getting with it. And, like, I'm just excited to see people use tools to make stuff. I, I really don't care what the tools are. I, li- I mean, I like talking about gear, but I'm don't care in terms of judging somebody for that. But I feel bad that people feel the need to justify what they're using to me. And so I always try to make sure to be encouraging of of them. And I feel like I'm bumping something. Oh, it's the mic cables bumping on the thingy. Sorry. <laughs> that was like very frustrating. Uh, and so the Yeti just sort of opened up this insight into discouragement. And it would be a different discussion if someone comes up to me and says, hey, I want to get better audio. I want to buy a USB microphone. Here's my budget. What should I get? I've heard about the Blue Yeti. I probably wouldn't recommend the Yeti because while it, you know, it might have been the best option years ago, there are just so many other options out there right now for even less money that deliver better results or might be more tailored tailored to a specific use case that the Yeti might not be. The Yeti is great if you're going to keep it in the stand that it comes in, use it on the right pickup pattern and uh, speak relatively slow, slow, relatively close to it, the Yeti's pretty great. But if you want to mount it on a boom arm or use it in a different way or pick up different patterns or whatever, it, that's where it's like there are other better options out there, even though the Yeti can do those things. So if somebody hasn't made a purchase, yeah, I would try to find something that's more suited to their specific needs. But if they have made a purchase, I would never say like, well, you made a mistake right there. Like, no, let's find a way to use what you're working with. Like, it's perfectly good. It's perfectly capable. And the vast majority of people who aren't interested in microphones and audio and stuff like that will never know the difference and will think that it sounds completely fine. I could have, had I not been somewhat lazy, I could have just recorded this entire episode using the Blue Yeti. In fact, (laughs) I don't know why I'm saying that. Like half of the first season of this podcast is just the Blue Yeti and it's fine. Like no one has ever said anything about it Uh, and no one ever did when I was streaming with it. No one has ever said anything about it on the voiceovers I've done for videos using the Blue Yeti. Like, oh, what are you using right there? Uh, Obviously, like, you know, my interest took me down a path where I got into XLR microphones and different types of microphones and mixers and interfaces. And that's a different world. But if you're just looking for, you know, like, I just want a USB mic to get better audio. You know, there's nothing wrong with going with a really simple option. And so I guess the reason I wanted to bring that up today, again, like this was a topic that probably wouldn't have fit a whole episode, but it was the idea of how easy it is to discourage someone just with a simple offhanded comment or a sarcastic quip or trying to make a joke. And you don't even necessarily realize it you just don't necessarily realize it when it's happening. You you might mean nothing by it, not even think twice. And now something you said could have totally discouraged someone from continuing trying to, to create something or build something or do what they were trying to do. And so I guess the lesson here is uh, realizing how much I dislike discouragement 
And I would like to discourage you <laughs> from uh, discouraging others. Yes, so I would like to, I feel encouraged to discourage you from discouraging others. I think that's encouraging. Yes, <laughs> a lot of double negatives happening there. But just remembering, I mean, it could be something so simple. If, if you're part of a social media circle or an online group or community or something and someone posts something, I'm not saying lie and inflate their ego, but they've probably already been very critical on themselves. If they're asking for critical feedback, give that to them. But otherwise, a kind word can go a really long way, and an unkind word can also go an equally long way in the opposite direction. And to me, that's uh, that's a little bit that's a little bit scary. Speaking of things that are scary, <laughs> uh, the next topic they want to talk about. This was going to be a whole episode, but I yeah, I didn't really want to make it a whole one. It has to do with the idea of the word expensive when it comes to gear, because that's kind of what we just talked about, right? Tom uh, sent the message with the Neumann microphone where I said, oh, it's kind of more expensive. It's $730. The microphone I'm using right now, you know, is very affordable, $150. There's, we, we talk about expensive and inexpensive a lot, but that is obviously entirely relative to, to what you're saying. You know, if you're a struggling high school student, a $100 USB microphone is going to be very expensive. If you're a 45-year-old corporate professional you might not think twice about investing in like, you know, multiple Sony FX3s or something for your setup because you just need what you need and you don't really care. You have the budget for it. But this is sort of a topic that I I kind of, am, I don't want to say stealing, borrowing <laughs> from Doc Rock because in the Ecamm group when he does live streams and even on his own channel when he does live streams, he talks about the E word a lot. And it's really kind of made me conscious about, you want to talk about how your words can go a long way. Doc's, like, um, I don't want to call it, criticism of the word expensive has made me much more aware of using that word because what does that even really mean? Like, the, is the SM7B expensive? It's $400. Well, to me and to a lot of people, spending $400 on something is is not a small amount of money. So yeah, you probably want to think like, you're not going to willy-nilly haphazardly make $400 purchases. But you might. There are people out there who do. And contextually, in the world of professional audio gear and microphones, $400 is dirt cheap. You want to talk about Neumann microphones that are $7,000, $10,000. You want to talk about professional mixers and things that are, you know, multiple thousands or tens of thousands of dollars. Spending $400 on a super reliable pro-level microphone like the SM7B is uh, is a pretty darn good deal when you think of it that way. And so what does it mean when something is expensive? And this to me ties in very much to the episode from a few weeks ago where it was like, it's just for YouTube. And we had that conversation of buying high-end gear to use quote-unquote just for YouTube. And the conclusion to that episode was, you know, as long as you're not putting yourself in a financially precarious position you should buy what you want and use what you want and just enjoy it. And it doesn't really matter if you're if you're buying a, an, what is it, an Alexa Mini for, you know, your talking head YouTube videos on a channel with eight subscribers. If you can do that without financially ruining yourself and you get a lot of joy out of it and you have a lot of fun with it, go for it. You should absolutely do it. It, it does obviously mean that you need to, figure out how you're spending and budgeting and all of that kind of stuff. But 
it, it's funny because I always felt, I feel like I've led this this weird paradoxical existence where I've been like simultaneously poor and wealthy at the same time, and I still can't quite figure it out because growing up, my family was not wealthy at all. Like we lived in a small house in a very small, poor town. We didn't like, I never wanted for anything though. I never felt like we didn't have anything. You know, I would get a cool birthday gift or a cool Christmas gift. We'd probably go on a vacation once a year. That would usually be like a road trip or something. Um, you know, I don't know. It just, I didn't feel like we needed it, needed anything. But then looking back and realizing like, oh yeah, the, you know, we did have a boat, but the boat was a boat that like my dad had gotten for free and salvaged and somehow pieced back together. And then sometimes it would work, but we had a boat. So it sounds like fancy to have a boat, but it's also like, well, I remember the context of getting the boat and it took like two years for my dad to get it to the point where it could kind of work sometimes. <laughs> and then we only had it for a couple of years, but it's like, it, it's sort of this weird thing of, it's just sort of weird. And that kind of carried on with me. And I remember being in college where uh, because I was going to college, I didn't have, I don't want to say I didn't have as much time to work because I always worked like full time while going to college, but I, I wasn't like advancing up a corporate ladder. I, you know, I'd work at Trader Joe's <laughs> doing my like sign art and that was a great job. It was like one of my favorite jobs, but th I wasn't trying to like move into management or anything like that. I would get my couple raises a year and that would sort of be it. And especially when you're like 21, 22, I did see a lot of people who weren't going to college, but they jumped into a company or a business and they were now able to like climb the ladder and start making what, what felt like grown up money where I was still felt like I was making not grown up money. Uh, but I was like, why, like, how am I living in an apartment on my own? How am I like, why do I have a MacBook? Why, like, why am I buying a DSLR? Like, how is this? It, it just confused me like how this was happening. <laughs> and I realized that a lot of it had to do with prioritizing what you're spending your money on and what you're budgeting. So, you know, if you watch my YouTube videos, the room that I'm in right now is quite the fun house of gear. Like there's a lot of, of valuable gear in here, cameras and lenses and audio and computers and instruments. And it's, it's crazy. The rest of my life is not like this. Like, like I, I have to remind myself to buy new clothes because otherwise I will just use the same clothes from Target or wherever forever and look like, not look super presentable some of the time. Not that there's anything wrong with Target clothes, but, you know, eight years on, my Massimo jeans are not necessarily up to snuff anymore. And so that that's something that I kind of realized when it came to like, oh, this is expensive and I would feel super guilty as what, you know, a... a pretty broke college kid like oh i want to buy a canon xti and learn how to take pictures with a you know an interchangeable lens camera and it felt very like extravagant to have something like that but then realizing like oh but other people are spending hundreds of dollars on a pair of shoes or going out to clubs or you know <laughs> racking up credit card debt or something and i i don't do any of that but i want to take the money that i do have and put it in this one area. So when it comes to gear, the reason I'm bringing that up is when it comes to gear, a lot of it does have to do with prioritizing how your budget and that opportunity costs. Cause it's like you, if you wanted, you know, a, a nice camera, a Sony FX3 and say they were not hard to find because of a chip chip shortage globally, it's a $4,000 camera. That's a lot of money. 
if you're not spending $4,000 on other stuff, though, it's not incredibly difficult to save up and get to that point at some point. But if you're someone who also wants a new car, who also wants high-end designer clothes, who also wants, you know, to upgrade your TV and your computer every year, who also wants to, you know, move into a big house in an expensive city, then yeah, it's going to be harder to do that $4,000. And I, I don't feel like I'm getting in the weeds here a bit, but it just, I guess it just has to go with like expensive gear. It, it's all rel- relative. And the way that I, for most of my life, was able to afford expensive gear while not really making a ton of money or having a lot of resources was just prioritizing how I spent and where I spent. And just because I have high ta- high-end taste when it comes to equipment, that does not translate over to other parts of my life. And it's it's kind of important to remember that. Like, if you watch my YouTube videos, the rest of our house is nice. Our house is relatively new. Uh, actually, I bought this house new, like it was, which is crazy. Like, I got to see it built from the dirt to a house that we live in. That was like seven years ago. But seven years ago, the housing market was not what it is now. And the area that we bought the house, like, basically, I couldn't afford to buy this house today. But seven years ago, it was a lot more affordable. So now, fortunately, it's like, hey, we got this house and it's cool and it's a very nice house. But the rest of our house is not, (laughs) it does not have the like gear per inch ratio that like the room I'm in right now does. It's, it's a lot more modest and a lot, you know, I don't know. I don't know how to describe it, but it's just, I was thinking of how to prioritize spending. What does it mean for something to be expensive and how did I feel like I spent so much of my life having less income and less money than the people around me, but felt like I had more expensive things. And that was, that was weird. So ultimately like what, what doc has told me is, or what I've learned from listening to doc rock is expensive doesn't really mean anything because that what is expensive is going to be different for everybody. And there's kind of an inherent judgment that comes with calling something expensive if you if you can justify it and you have the budget for it it's not necessarily expensive to you it doesn't matter really what it is if it's if it's worth it to you if something's going to improve your quality of life your workflow whatever it doesn't have to just be gear related things but if something's going to make a big improvement on your life it could very much be worth the cost if you're somebody you know depending on how, what your income is and what your budget is and what your living expenses are you know, if you make $100,000 a year, which seems like a great income, but you live in San Francisco, you might be struggling to make ends meet. If you make $100,000 a year and you live in, I don't know, Columbus, Ohio, you might be like, whoa, dang, I can look at me. Like, we're saving money. We have a big house. Like, this is great. So it's all relative to somebody's specific situation. And it's so easy to make just what seems like an objective judgment call by calling something expensive or criticizing someone for buying expensive things or or whatever that might be. I, I, it's just It's just this idea that I just feel like I've seen people limit themselves because I will get in conversations or exchange messages with people and they will ask, you know, it'll be that conversation of, hey, I want to improve my audio or my video quality what can I get? What are some, you know, what are some things, some tools that I can have? And then it comes down to, oh, well, um, you know, if you want the look of a full frame camera with an interchangeable lens, you can't get a webcam. 
Like, there's just not a webcam that's going to work. And then people will say, well, that's too expensive. And I'm like, well, it's not cheap, but it's also the only way to get the look that you're going for. And there's a difference between getting a Sony ZV-E10 with a Sigma 16 millimeter and a Sony FX3 with a, you know, 24 millimeter G Master. They're both going to give you great results, but there is, you know, thousands of dollars of price difference between them. But even the lower end option is going to be $1,200, $1,300 by the time you get a lens with it and everything and all the accessories that you need. And that's just, that's what it costs to do the thing that you want to do. And I, I feel like I would never encourage anybody to live beyond their means or spend beyond their means, but it just seems so limiting because there's so many times where someone will say like, I can't afford a camera like that, so I'll just never get it. But it's like, like you can't save $1,000 over the course of like months, like six, seven months a year. Like, really? I mean, if that's maybe not. I know, I know people struggle. I'm not trying to be like Mr. Oblivious over here. But I also, I like, I, I came from that background of like not having money and, and realizing like I can remember if I knew that an album was going to come out, a CD was going to come out that I wanted to get. And I'd be like, ooh. Limp Biscuit is going to come out with a new album in September. So it's April. I better make sure I can start saving up so I have $23 set aside in September. And yeah, that I'd spend the next four months making sure that I could like build up $23 to have the thing that I want. But then on release day, guess who got the brand new Limp Biscuit album? Me. Yeah. So who's the winner now, right? Anyway, I think we're getting off the rails here. Uh, have a other bunch of notes here that have to do with college, and I don't remember originally how that played into this conversation, so I'm probably going to save that for another day. I am going to wrap up, though. I know we're we're almost at the end of an hour, but this is a... I'm going to transition now to the next topic, which is transitioning away from gear, but still about a piece of tech. And I want to talk about what has really been one of the absolute best technology purchases I've ever made in my entire life. And I would encourage you to consider it if you haven't already. And that is a Kindle. And this sounds like a commercial, but it's not. Uh, so the Kindle, if you're not familiar, uh, is an e-reader. So uh, Kindle is owned by Amazon. <laughs> we all might have feelings about that. But I have found looking at all the different e-readers out there that Kindles kind of tend to be the best. They're really one of the first their implementation is kind of second to none, and even the hardware is is really, really good. The, re the thing about a Kindle is, and the reason this has been on my mind and on my podcast list for the past few months, is I upgraded my Kindle for the very first time last November. So I bought a Kindle in, was it August of 2014? I bought a Kindle, and they're like $100. I bought a Kindle Paperwhite. Uh, the Paperwhite is... I think some of the models have changed, but at the time, the cheapest Kindle was just an e-reader. The Paperwhite was the same thing, but it has a built-in light, and uh, I wanted to be able to read in the dark without having to attach a light or anything, so I got the Paperwhite. It was like $100, <laughs> uh, and it still works perfectly, so I, that, that, it never, it, I, that thing has been all around the world with me. I can't even tell you the number of books I've read on that thing the number of hours I put into it. And really the only thing that's wrong with it is the battery doesn't last quite as long anymore. It only lasts like five weeks now, maybe six. So that's the only thing that's gone wrong with it, which is why I never upgraded it. Uh, but the reason I did upgrade was because I feel like I've even been reading a lot more lately and the newer paper whites have a slightly bigger screen. 
and because I'm becoming an old person, I need the text to be a little bit bigger. So a bigger screen means I don't have to turn pages as often. And the biggest thing is you can change the color of the screen, the color temperature of the of the light. Um, so the original Kindle I had, it was only like a blue light, which I usually like, but at night when I'm reading in the dark, the blue light is kind of jarring. And so this one, you can change it either automatically or manually to be like warm or blue and anywhere in between. And that really, really helps at night. Plus it's waterproof and all this stuff. So, um, and now the battery lasts like over two months. It's insane. Uh, Kindles are just great. Uh, so the reason that, so I have a lot of thoughts about this. Here's why I think this is something I wanted to talk about and why I think it was important. A lot of times on this podcast, I've talked about uh, bike rides being therapeutic for me. If I need to come up with an idea or work through something or just kind of get away from things, going on a bike ride is the best. It's the best medicine for me, absolutely. And I think everybody has something like that. Maybe it's a physical activity. Maybe it's playing video games or cooking or whatever it might be, hanging out with people. Something that pulls you away from your job, your work, and those all those stresses and things. And for me, the Kindle has been huge. And it's still like, it's it's also a cool piece of technology. So it, it holds my interest in a, in a unique way that nothing else really has. And so if you're, if you've never used a Kindle or you're not familiar with them, basically it looks like a small little tablet, um, but it has a black and white display, which is an e-ink display. And what that means is it's, it's literally, I don't, I don't know the science behind it, but there's magnets and things that it looks like text on a page. So unlike a phone or a tablet or a computer, the more light that you have shining on the screen, the easier it is to read. So if you take this out and go in full sunlight, it, it's the same as a book, basically. You know, if you are out in the middle of daylight with a book, it's super easy to read. And then if you're in the dark, it's harder to read. Fortunately, the Kindle does have a built-in light, but it's not a backlight like on a phone or a tablet where you have your like LED panel and then there's a backlight behind it, which means that when you're looking at your phone or your tablet, the light is actually shining directly at your face. The Kindle, uh, the Kindle light is coming from the side. So it's, you know, it's not as crisp and beautiful as like an iPad screen would be, but it means you don't have light shining directly at you. Um, so I really like it because you can read in pitch black. The light can get super bright, way more than you would ever need. Or you can read in bright sunlight. Like there's no condition that you can't read the read a book in, um, which is great. And then you can change the color temperature as well. Um, I do like Amazon's implementation of eBooks is pretty great. Like you can just literally press one button and it automatically downloads to your Kindle, which is cool. But you don't have to just buy uh, Kindle books. You can even use like third-party software and load your own books in and change cover, cover artwork and all this stuff. So it's not just tied down to Amazon's ecosystem, which I think is pretty cool. And a lot of them, I know Kindles have it. I think other e-readers do too, but a lot of public libraries, at least in the US, will have a free ebook program. So you can like download one book at a time for free as part of your like library membership and never have to pay for anything. So I usually just buy eBooks from the Amazon store because I'm just lazy and it's the easiest way to do it. Uh, but there are a lot of other ways, uh, which is very, very cool. So those are kind of the basics of it. Oh, and the other thing, when I was an English major, so th this is kind of, <laughs> I know you're like, why are you now just doing a Kindle commercial for five minutes? But I promise it's relevant. So First and foremost, I'm sharing this piece of tech with you that I'm excited about because uh, 
it's really fun and it's a great way for me to like step away from work and work related things and focus on other stuff that I'm excited about and, and lose myself in stories or read, you know, I read the YouTube formula on my Kindle and stuff too. So it's not always not work related, but it's, it's really, really fun. Having the purpose specific device is huge because you can get a Kindle app on your phone or on your tablet and it's great. But then you also get like email notifications and then you want to check your YouTube studio analytics and look up, you know, what was the name of that actor from that thing and then get a recipe and then watch a video. This doesn't do any of that. It's just books. It's just words on the page. And that's pretty much it. And that's what its strength is. It's also waterproof. So you can have it by the pool. You can read it in the bath. Like you, you can it's cool. <laughs> it's so affordable. It's crazy. Uh, at least speaking of expensive, like you cannot call a Kindle expensive and they last forever. Like my, like I said, my previous one is seven years old at this point and still works great. I just wanted some different features. That's the only reason I upgraded. Um, but otherwise I could still be using that one. And then they do talk to each other. So like if I had one at work and one at home, like if you have an office and if I, if I still had my classroom and I wanted to read on a lunch break, which is like not a thing I would have ever had actual time to do as a teacher, but in a perfect world, I could have had a Kindle there and then had the Kindle like at home next to the bed. And wherever I stopped reading on the other one, the one at home would pick up on, which is very cool. So if you have multiples, they don't go to waste or anything. And they're super small, super portable, plane trips to New York. I don't know what I do without Kindles and stuff. But um, that purpose specific device, when I pick up the Kindle, I'm not doing anything else. I'm not checking anything else. I'm not being distracted by anything else. I'm just focused on this. And back in my time as an English major, the English department chair made this huge push where every English major needed to have a dictionary. So this, the university provided us all with dictionaries. And his whole thing was, anytime you're reading anything, you need to have a dictionary next to you. And I was like, that's makes sense. I get it, but it's a total pain in the butt because there are a lot of words I don't know in these books. But every time I find a word I don't know, I'm now supposed to stop and then like search through the dictionary to find it. Check out what the would check out what the Kindle has. I was going to say that is a good way to read, but most people aren't going to do that. The Kindle, if there's something you don't know, you just hold your finger over the word and then the dictionary definition pops up even if you're not connected to Wi-Fi or internet or anything. You get the definition to words, which is amazing because as I'm reading, it's kind of shocking like how many words you don't know the meaning to. You can probably figure it out based on the context, but I'm always surprised how many words I really don't understand the meaning of or how it's being used here. And I can just instantly like I use it's almost like every page I read. I use the dictionary at least once constantly. It's great. Like it's such a an enriching feeling thing. And if you are connected to Wi-Fi with your Kindle and you tap on something and there's a Wikipedia entry, it will take you to the Wikipedia entry. And of course you can highlight stuff and like it'll it'll create a little file that has all your highlighted quotes and things from different stories and stuff. So that's that's pretty cool. The dictionary thing is pretty cool. And the reason that that it, the Kindle was so a so life-changing to me is because I say this as somebody who was an English teacher, who was an English major, but was also known as the English major who didn't like to read. And I I would get made fun of a lot in college. It's funny, like, this is the things get made fun of 
as an adult for not reading because people will be like, hey, have you read this book? Have you heard of that? I'm like, no, never read that one. Didn't do that. Or people in an English program be like, yeah, I read, you know, whatever, 500 pages a week or something. And I'd be like, I can, I'm just trying to keep up with the course reading. I'm not reading recreationally on the side or anything. And so I, I was kind of like looked down on a lot in, in a weird way for like not reading and not enjoying reading. And it was sort of a pain in the butt. Like I got to, I got to have enough lights, like reading hurt my eyes, holding the book open. I know there's the people who are like, they love the feeling of books and the look of books. And I get that. But for me, it was a total pain in the butt to like, try you know, I don't know, you're open the book and some of the words are kind of hidden behind the crease of the spine. It's just a it was a pain. I didn't enjoy it at all. Plus, I had been a student in American public schools, which are systemically designed to make you hate reading because most kids in kindergarten, when they start learning how to read, couldn't be more excited about anything in the universe than being able to read. And they want to read everything. And then over the next 12 years, the school system makes sure that they they hate reading entirely and that it's just a terrible chore that they would never want to do. And the idea of then reading for fun, like on your own, just because you want to read a book for fun or to learn something, what? You might as well just be speaking a different language to me. That makes no sense. So I had like, despite the fact I had kind of a natural aptitude for writing and communication, I was always a good reader. I never read for fun. But it was in college that I realized like, wait, what do I do recreationally like online? I'm reading constantly. I'm just not reading novels or literature or whatever. I'm reading, you know, Reddit, Reddit discussions or message boards or articles, but I'm constantly just reading stuff, just walls and walls of text, but it's, it doesn't count, I guess, because it wasn't some canonical author that we all decided that is the peak of literature. And that's what you need to read to be a cultured person or a reader. And that was, uh, that was really frustrating to me. And I just, I just stopped reading. And so it was as I started teaching English and I was trying to make my students become interested in the stuff that we were covering. Like it's very hard to get a ninth grader interested in Shakespeare or even, even books that I thought were fun stuff like hatchet or holes or whatever, like easy young adult books that are kind of fun and exciting and adventurous initially getting the kids excited about those was really hard. But then as we'd go through and read some of these things, like I remember reading the original Christmas Carol, Frankenstein, all two separate works. <laughs> I said it like it was one title. Um, like, wow, these are really good. It's so different than the, you know, than the movie adaptations or pop culture adaptations. And you just, you start to have that joy. I remember of like, oh yeah, I remember just reading Goosebumps books as a kid and like, book after book or a whole book in a day. And just like, I couldn't get enough of living in those worlds. And I completely lost that feeling. And then I started to remember how that felt when I was teaching English. And I started to try and remind my students that like, this stuff can actually just be super fun. And the more that you read, the more that you learn just by like osmosis, you will become a better writer, you will become a better communicator. And so I wanted to start reading more on my own. Because this was prior to teaching digital media, I didn't want to be an English teacher who didn't read. I was okay with being the English major that didn't read. No one was paying me, but it was like, I had students who I was trying to make this stuff seem important to. And I felt like I should probably 
be a better reader, <laughs> be a more active reader. And so it was the Kindle that saved it. I remember getting my Kindle and just from then on, I just like am constantly reading at least one book. Sometimes I'm bouncing between like four and five books. I just finished. It took me a year to read this and I'm so sad that it's over, but I just finished the Expanse series, which each Expanse book is, I don't want to say it's like the length of a Game of Thrones book, but they're long. They're, you know, long, thick books. And there are nine of them in this series. And I just sort of, I don't know what I was getting myself into. I just stumbled into it like a year ago and started reading the first one. And then I was like, oh, I'll try the second one. And then there were seven more after that. And and plus the whole TV series, which is amazing as well, um, that we binged last, well, right, it just ended. So there's six seasons of the Expanse TV series. It's amazing. But the book series is phenomenal. And I read all, all of that, page one to page, whatever the end was, all on the Kindle. That's the longest book series I've ever read. But prior to that, um, I, I think what dipped me into the Kindle was reading a lot of nonfiction, reading a lot of biographies, reading a lot of like, kind of like self-help productivity books, which I do still kind of like, like Essentialism by Greg McEwen is one of my favorites. Um, that's a really great one. But then... Wanting to kind of dive into, I read The Martian right before the movie came out, and that was such a fun book to read. And that was like, oh yeah, fiction is really fun. Like going to live in a different world where I'm not like trying to apply this strategically to something I'm doing and just enjoying the ride is really, really fun. And I think it was The Martian. I was looking for other like, what's kind of like a sci-fi-y, but not like... Like, what's a Martian-like book? If you like that, you'd also like that. And that's how I found The Expanse. Um, but it's it's been just so much fun to go explore this stuff. And then I remember book one of The Expanse, they get they get a ship. They get, like, a spaceship. And they come up with a name for it. And they name it the Rosinante. And they explain in the book that that was the name of um, Don Quixote's horse in, in the books in Don Quixote from, you know, ancient earth history. (laughs) Uh, And I was like, oh, that's interesting. And they talked about like how great those books were. And so I was like, you know, I've heard about that, something to do with windmills. So I ended up pausing my Expanse reading and then went and read Don Quixote for the first time, which is like, it's, I I don't want to call it funny. It's hilarious. It's kind of tragic because it's just how the character is, but it's like, wow, this is like really funny. And then looking into the history of that and being like, oh, okay, this is really one of the first kind of like modern novels, even though it's hundreds and hundreds of years old. But the way that the book is structured, the way that the characters are developed, the way that the stories are told, this is this is like one of the first, the first time we've sort of seen that in what is pretty recognizable in what we have today. And I can just go on my own and read that and have fun with it and enjoy it and laugh at a joke that somebody wrote like 500 years ago. Uh, that's kind of cool. Like... <laughs> having fun isn't hard when you've got a library card, you know? So it's just been like the Kindle has been this piece of technology that is, it's like a perfect piece of technology because it is affordable. So there's no argument over being expensive or not. You get a hundred bucks, you get this thing that'll last you for years and years and years. It's super reliable. It's super functional. And then it lets you detach from work and the realities of whatever you're dealing with. Like the amount of times during, you know, like the 2020 election or whatever, where it'd just be chaos everywhere. And I'd be like, I'm going to go read a book and not, I'm just not going to do this right now, uh, is absolutely amazing. So I think that the reason I've been itching to talk about this and I don't know how to fit it into a regular episode is because 
I would like to encourage anyone and everyone to be a more active reader if you're not. And there's something out there. You might like nonfiction. You might like fiction. uh, But there's probably something out there that you could be really excited about and really interested in. And if you're somebody who already is a reader and you love physical books, then, you know, you're good to go. But if you find yourself kind of like I did, where you were sort of struggling to like, the idea of just sitting down with a book and reading, it just didn't click with me. The Kindle, I mean, I, I don't, I can't tell you how many books I've now read in the past seven or eight years that I've had a Kindle that I would have never read before and how accessible everything is and how it, it changed, it literally changed my life. And as somebody like you might be, who's interested in technology and sort of likes gadgets and gizmos and things, the Kindle has just enough like techie gadgetiness that, you know, it, I don't know, it, it holds my interest in a way that a physical book doesn't or can't. And like, there have been so many times where people will like want to give me a book and they'll be like, here's, here's a book. You should read this book. And I'm like, cool. Um, I know I'm holding the physical copy of this, but I'm 100% going to go buy the ebook right now because I don't want to read this physical book. Uh, so anyway, boy, I feel like we were all over the place today, but I hope you got something. I hope you know what? I don't know if you took anything valuable away, but I hope you enjoyed yourself. If you're listening this far in, I hope you just enjoyed spending some time with me and hearing these ramblings as I try to just smash everything together before the end of a podcast season. Uh, Next week's episode will be significantly more structured, and I'm very excited about that because it's going to be a super fun topic. But of course, if you want to respond to anything I said today or you have an idea that you want to share and you want to be included in next week's episode, which is going to be the season finale, you can always send an email to tom at enthusiasmproject.com or you can now just go to himynameistom.com and right there on the homepage, you can submit a voice submission at the click of a button. It is super easy. So thank you so much for listening. I hope you have a safe, happy, healthy rest of your week and I will see you next time. Mm-hmm.